Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to a special edition of Classic Comics Cavalcade. Last month, we had Washington State Summer Con out here in the Seattle area. Jim Shooter and Roy Thomas were among the attendees, and I thought it would be fun to share a panel discussion that those two men had while at the convention. Um, I haven't seen anyone else post this chat. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed listening to it and uh, being in the room for that, and I thought that you might enjoy it as well. Um, please note that I have no copyright or special ownership of this. If you object to my posting this, please let me know and I will pull down this episode immediately. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy. Please leave feedback on iTunes as usual. I, I, I laid out every panel. I even drew a, a, an 
the cover. I even colored the cover because I figured that, you know, so that they'd see what it would look like. And uh, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the fact that uh, I certainly wasn't a great writer, but I thought they could do some visual thinking, I think, helped. And it also helped that my stuff happened laying on his desk at the time when he needed to go write. Anyway, so where were we? The other one quit. <laughs> Yeah, the only day I ever wrote for him was while I was back in uh, St. Louis, and I don't remember if he gave me this idea of in part or of mine exactly, but it was a story about Jimmy Olsen infiltrating a teen mob, and then he decided he finds out that Robin's already infiltrated it. And so the first thing I told him was, well, can't this be longer than eight pages? You got a lot of stuff. And he said, oh, eight pages, you gotta get it in. Well, it finally came out after I left and he gave it to uh, Leo Gordon, yeah. right, who probably never knew that you know, I ever touched it. Uh, it was a whole different story. It had some hunchback villain in it and everything. And it's like, what, 12 or so pages. So, you know, I was sort of vindicated in a way because it did take more pages. It's called the Delphi, uh, the Dragon Delinquent is the name of the story. But it came out like, you know, six months, a year after I had quit. So, but, uh, so we, we both have our work wisely in the story, but he got a lot more out of work than I did. But at the same time, work got me to New York, you know, and I mean, I was never adventurous enough. I don't know about Jim, but I would never have been adventurous enough to move to New York, you know, look for a job. Some people would do that. I, I, I was, you know, I was out there in Missouri, and I, I'd have just stayed around there. Or something. Yeah, but you were a grown-up. Well, it was great. <laughs> I had a job, I just, but I was adventurous enough to go to New York. I didn't know anybody there. I'd been there once for like a day or two on a senior trip, but I liked the idea of going there, but I just never would have, except, except that I, uh, what, if I had a job, then I got there. And then, of course, you know, I, I sort of jumped ship, and Mort kind of accused me of, like, I used him to get to New York so I could work for Stan Lee. That was the farthest thing in my mind, you know, was working for Stan. I didn't know what Stan wanted. So we both had these weird histories of getting in the field. I got in first, but he was a lot younger. Yeah. What? No, but I was going to say, but what that also leads you guys together because you guys have that, that connection there. But what, what I was telling people uh, earlier is that after Stan Lee, you know, there was a there was a there was a lot of editor in chiefs there, but the ones you always hear about is Roy's run and Jim's run. Those were guys like the powerful, the powerful because you guys brought so much to comics. Well, and also I think we uh, you were like two and a half years or something. Like that. Yeah, but of course I also was sort of that. No, I know. Not, yeah. You know, not editing, but those the job was different. Years the job yeah. was different. Uh, yeah. In, in some ways, job. I had a little more executive editor in my job. But uh, but the thing is, like uh, he, he was there for a while, you know, and, and you've been there before that, so uh, you know you were a staple. Um, uh, uh, in order, there was. After you, there was Len Wein who lasted eight months. Mark Wolfman lasted exactly one year. You were going to come back and then change your mind. Jerry Conway lasted three weeks. Three he said weeks. six. Yeah, he said, he said six. I'm not, I'm not disputing it. I, I, don't know. I thought it was more like three or four. I don't I, know. You know, anyway, then, then uh, they brought in Archie Goodwin. Archie was a, was a mellow guy, and everybody it was hard not to get along with Archie. And so he was able to weather the storm, I think, longer. He was there 19 months. And then uh, me, I was there like nine and a half years. So, uh, you know, and the main reason being that they've run out of live bodies. <laughs> there was nobody left, you know? So, uh, so anyway, but uh, yeah, so so we had the longest tenures. I don't know what's happened since then, but uh, we, we, had, we were around the longest, so we could get, get into more trouble. Well, well, we should know, first of all, you went to the, the gym, like, when you first got presented with the job, how did it go for you? Not so good. Uh, <laughs> Stan got himself kicked upstairs. I didn't know anything about the machinations until they were over, but he'd gone behind the scenes because he didn't want to work for Chip Goodman, Martin Goodman's son. He, did, he, you know, he, he didn't mind working for the old man, Martin Goodman, who was the original publisher, but he didn't like the idea of working for his son and so forth. So uh, he went to the old the conglomerate that had bought him. Marvel, and he ended up uh, getting himself appointed publisher and president. And then, so he decided I would be the editor, but I wasn't going to be the editor-in-chief, executive editor, or editor. I was going to be called story editor. And uh, 
So I was I was not in charge of the artwork. I wasn't or anything like this. It was like story because the reason being that uh, Stan Stan liked to hang on to titles. He didn't like to let anything go. He had always been editor and art director, and he was an art. He, he wasn't an artist, but he still was an art director. And he took a very personal and strong interest in art as well as the writing and so forth. So he just wanted me to be the story editor, and uh, I was really I was so unhappy about this. About just being a story editor and so forth, and not being the editor under the editor, you know, obviously. And that I was actually going to quit, or thinking seriously, because I had offers right away, you know, from Carmine uh, over at, uh, at DC, and uh, for some time. And I, I was really so pissed off at the idea of that I was going to, you know, really seriously entertain the idea of leaving. And, and I, I talked to my friend Gil Kane, you know, the, 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 the very, you know, tall artist. <laughs> and uh, he said, my boy, he said, he called don't. Louise Simonson, my boy. He called everybody. <laughs> he called him all guys who were older than him, my boy. But anyway, he said, just, just don't bother. He said, why? He said, well, Stan had divided into this triumvirate of John Report, this production manager, uh, myself as story editor, and Frank Jacoya, a very good artist, mostly eager, as what was called assistant art director. He wasn't going to even give up the title art director. He was the assistant art director. Why not John Romita? Because John Romita was too valuable to be the Spider-Man to have the job he should have had. And um, so I said, but you know, I said, you know, he said, Gil said, don't change, don't do anything for sympathy. He said because uh, he just says, look at that. So John Report, he's no, he he just wants to get the books out. He doesn't care. Right? We have those friends anyway. Frank, good artist, fine artist, but Frank, he's. He's not going to be able to make the cut because you know he's too slow. He has to do hang-ups and so on. He's a really good artist. He should be back in. I said, well, I know that. He, he was supposed to be generating cover sketches, and he was, you know, he was okay, but he was kind of slow at it, and you know, he, he just wasn't working out. So, so I, he said, just wait. And Gil said, it will all come to you. You'd like to speak differently. <laughs> so he said, so a couple weeks later, I waited about a week too. A couple weeks later, a uh, like something came up, and Sam calls me in his office to say. Uh, I don't like these covers that Frank is doing. You've got to talk to him about it. I said, I'm sorry, Stan, I can't do that. He said, well, I said, well, I'm not his superior. I, I'm just the story editor. I said, you know, everything. I said, you've divided up this triumvirate of the three of us. So I said, you know, I can't tell John Report what to do. I can't tell Frank. I just I just work for the story. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, well, we've got to change this. From now on, you're the editor, and that's what we came up pretty soon with the editor-in-chief thing. Frank will still be the assistant art director. Frank Jacari, I think, hated me for the rest of life and so forth. But, but you know, we kind of loved, you know, Frank, everybody loved Frank Lee, but uh, he, we were all better in our other jobs. So that, that worked out okay. I do not remember a raise being part of any of these. But I got the title eventually, anyway. Well, you know, when I came in, I inherited the situation you created, which is that you were in charge of everything. But in the meantime. But in the meantime, uh, uh, because uh, a couple of the guys before me uh, kind of weren't terribly interested and they didn't want responsibility, it just it sort of organically changed that uh, uh, Saul Brodsky seemed to be in charge of, of anything that was sort of legal or financial. John Reporton seemed to be in charge of everything. And, uh, and John Romito had our director. Um, but, but, but he left because of Spider-Man strip and Marie Severin uh, thought she was in charge of the art. And uh, so we, I, in my first couple of weeks there, I would go to the production department and I'd tell them what I wanted. And they'd look at me like, oh, who the hell are you? You know? And, uh, or I'd, I'd talk to Marie about something and she's, who the hell are you? Um, and, uh, and I couldn't figure out what Saul was. I mean, he had been great in the 60s. He built Marvel along with Stan. But uh, when I was there, uh, he, he was, uh, he had his own publishing company that had failed and Stan had kind of manufactured a job out of thin air for him. Uh, so he, he was just sort of absorbing anything, any responsibility he could. So I was all puzzled by this. I went with Barry Kaplan, who was the financial guy. And I said, do, do we have an organizational chart? And, and he said, yeah, sure. So he showed it to me and it's like you said, there's you, there's production, art director, and, uh, editor, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Saul wasn't on the chart. <laughs> yeah, he, he and Stan, that Stan was off in a little circle someplace. I mean, they didn't really have any direct day-to-day -day duties for real. 
And uh, so uh, I took the organizational chart and showed it to Marie and to uh, um, uh, John, not both times, I did, it was Lenny Grow at that time. And they were appalled, and uh, uh, Marie apologized. And then she went and yelled at Saul because she thought he misled her. Um, so, and eventually we, we sort of manufactured a real job for Saul and he was doing the, the, the strips and stuff. So, uh, so anyway, like what you said was exactly right. It was still there when I came. Now, obviously you guys had to go through a lot of trials and tribulations when you're the editor-in-chief. Roy, can you tell me first, what was one of the biggest problems that you had to face, like that kind of tested you as an editor-in-chief? Well, the main thing was that it just kept growing and saying, and they kept adding titles. And I was there, you know, I was a, a, a guy, an organizer type, and Stan had sort of wanted me to, or, or if there'd been any thought about money to hire, pay other people. But all we had is these couple of assistants, and, and it was whoever was next in line always became the editor-in-chief. You know, and Lynn, Lynn Weed had only been hired a few months before. He, Jerry Conway would be upset, he wasn't, but I offered him that job a couple of times. He kept turning it down because he couldn't afford it, then he missed his chance. But uh, the thing is that the, the real thing was they just kept adding, the staff kept adding books. And the all idea was, uh, you know, uh, we got to do it to, because, you know, we got to pay, uh, you know, we got to do this. We had, in 72, we had to have our own controller suddenly because suddenly Marvel Comics was separated from magazine management. That was everything else. You know, men's Sweat Magazines and the Romance and all that. Men's Sweat Magazines is an industry <laughs> technical term. Created by Harvey Kurtzman, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and uh, that's male and stag and all that junk, you know, with the Nazi nurses and things. But anyway, <laughs> the Nazis and nurses. Yeah, anyway. with a picture of Marie Severin on the cover. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, but the hardest part was just the, the number of first, Give you an example. One day, Stan decides we have the, the, the color Dracula book, so he decides one day, was really, he wanted to get into the black and white, you know, thing. So we compete with Jim Warren books. That was one way to expand, as opposed to being just another color comic and another superhero comic. So, so we're going to do a book called, you know, Dracula Lives, and then it's going to be, you know, you know it's it's mostly comic. We threw in a little reprint and some technical art, uh, some text articles, but it's still it's a lot. You know, something like 20, 30 or so pages. Aren't, aren't vampires technically dead? Dracula Lives. Aren't vampires? Yeah, Dracula dead. Lives, which was a bad title, frankly. Uh, but you're right. I saw that. But anyway, so then, so that's great. So the next day, Stan walks in. So I so I get it started. So just get the door. You know, we don't have any more energy yet. You know, so whatever. So the next day I walk in. Stan says, "I want two more black and white books." He says, "He says, you know, says, there's a lot of monsters that aren't that that aren't. Uh, oh, he says, no, there's a lot of vampires that aren't Dracula." So I said. Yeah, I can't argue with that. He says, well, so, so we're going to have a book called Vampire Tales. It's other vampires. Like, okay, all right. We could have got this into Dracula, but all right. And he says, you know, there's a lot of monsters that aren't vampires at all. So then we have Monsters Unleashed, and that became Frankenstein, and Werewolf, and whatever the heck. You know, so fine. Well, we finally had new covers. We got vampires. We got all those monsters. Like, three new books, though. This is going to be a mountain of work to do, just in terms of production. And uh, so, and then of course, at the same time, we had a few color comics too. So, so I finally go out. It's 24 hours, and now we have three books. Okay, the next day, 48 hours, three days, but it's really just two, you know. And, and I walk in, and Stan says, I got one more book. I said, What, what is this going to be? He says, I got a title Tales of the Zombie. They, they couldn't do it. No, I want, I, want a, I want a character called the Zombie. You know, he's the hero. I came up with this thing that Stan had done with Bill Everett, you know, back in the 50s, and decided to make that the, the character, you know, like the look of it and everything. But, um, so, so, so basically, we ended those books, and that was the way the whole thing went. And I was inside a person, you know, Jim was, or two, but as I said, there were other things, too. There was no money, and there was no, there was no instead of Stan didn't give me one hand or other people or whatever, and I just went along with it. And it just kept growing, you know, that whole story about how you, you live this small, small path, and you keep holding to one thing, and something down, you're holding the whole bull. You know? Well, somewhere between the line, in the middle, you're back at you. But, you know, that, that's the whole thing. So, so it just became too much. And finally, I just felt I wasn't 
too much work, and I could, you know, and I could have the assistant editors do a lot of work, but all I was doing was getting together with Bill Kane and John Green and a couple people to do covers, and I called the writers. Yeah, I remember poor old Doug Bunch. Hired Doug Bunch coming from Chicago. Every week I'd make an appointment with Doug. We're going to find him talk about it. And every week he'd show up and sit around about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, show up at 5, and I'd say, well, maybe next week I'd go home. And Doug just kept writing and doing fine stuff. And we never got any kind of plans and, and different things. So finally, uh, when, you know, when an excuse came and Stan and I came to kind of a part of the ways, I just, you know, Got the, got the heck out and everything. Uh, with a little acrimony for about two minutes, but then Stan and I kissed and made out. <laughs> now Stan wasn't the pres president of the company for very long, he, but he retained, he retained, the, he retained yeah. the title publisher. And then Al Landau came in, right? Yes. Okay, so so you were working with Al Landau, who by all accounts was a piece of work, man. Uh, <laughs> I had an article coming up with an alter ego. First time I ever see photograph of it. Yeah. Oh, you found one. Yeah, I didn't know that they, I didn't know that they were shifted dick He's pretty loose. Well, he, he, he was a criminal. And, um, <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, uh, when I came in, it took two things. I had been, for all of the things we just said about Moore Weisinger, I mean, he, he taught me a lot. And he, he, he taught me not only the, the business, I mean, he was having Tatjana would teach me how to color. And, and um, you know, uh, people talk to me about inking, and, and, and uh, Jack Adler talked to me about in-house production. And I'm like, why do I need to know this stuff? And, uh, and Noel was teaching me about the business of the business. And I'm not talking about getting my MBA here, I'm just talking about trying to understand, you know, what's going on. So when I came in, I, I had a, a little background in that. And um, uh, and also had a new president, a guy named Galt, who had like just arrived. Uh, he he was wasn't there much longer than me, and he had never opened a comic book in his life, and and never did for the rest of his life. So uh, so a lot of stuff got kind of left up to me, and um, which was good and bad. I mean you know it uh, uh, you know, caused Roy and I to get into a few fights, but. Um, and, we don't kiss, but we're we're okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, the whole, the situation changed, and it, and it was uh, it was much different. And uh, when I came in, the first big problem I faced was the fact that the the company was dying. We were going out of business. And um, uh, but the year before I started, this guy, uh, kicking and screaming, convinced uh, uh, whoever he had to convince. Uh, to, that we should publish Star Wars, I'm sure. And uh, um, and Star Wars all by itself saved the company. Um, and it, it, thank you very much. No, thank you. Because if Jim hadn't told people this, it was, it was Collins and things and, and everything. I, I don't think I realized it particularly, but because it certainly wasn't anything that I, in any way, shape, or form, had in mind. Uh, to me, it was just something that that, that I did. And I, I got lucky to the extent it helped Marvel, great, you know, and everything like that. But you but didn't get paid anymore. I think I got a two hundred dollar check about the thirteenth time they reprinted it. <laughs> 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 but I had to ask for it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so so the, uh, that bought a little bit of time, and uh, I had uh, um, they changed the copyright law, and nobody at Marvel had done anything about it. DC, they're all buttoned up. They had all their documents ready. Everything was fine. Marvel, we didn't have a scrap of paper, and so I'm, I'm having this fallout from the copyright law changing. And my good friend Neil Adams decides this is a great time to start a guild and go on strike against Marvel. I'm like, you yeah, a chance, you know. Um, but uh, but those those, those things uh, they got solved, and uh, um, we were able to you know press on and. and and then the, the really good thing that happened is, is I got Archie Goodwin to come back and work for me. It's awkward when somebody's your boss and then they go away and then you're the boss and then you hire them as an assistant. That's that's always awkward. Um, but I, 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 I wasn't going to, nobody needed to tell Archie anything. Just my, my deal with him was leave him alone, which I did. Um, and, I, and I paved the road for him. All the bureaucratic crap that he didn't want to do, I didn't either. But, but I could do it, and I, so I, I did his budgets. I did all the anything, lawyers or whatever. 
Um, and uh, that was good. So then people start saying, well, if Archie works there, how bad can it be? And then Louise Simonson, at Louise Jones at the time, Louise Simonson later, came to work for us. And then all of a sudden, um, uh, women started showing up. You know, because they said, well, Louise works there, how bad can it be? And uh, we had uh, other great people, Larry Lama, um, uh, Denny O'Neill. Um, so anyway, I, all the, I had troops, man. I had, I had some help, and I kept being able to con our new president into, well, I need another interview. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, one way or another, uh, I survived the, the, the storm, and um, it, it's, it, was, it was okay for a while. Okay, Roy, if you wanted to be known for one thing that you brought as an editor-in-chief, what would you want to be known? Like if like, they had to put something like they had to say about you as editor-in-chief, what would it be? You ask me all these crazy questions I never thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair, you're giving Jim a chance. Do you guys want to know that? What do you yeah. want to know? He's not giving Jim a chance to sit there and think about this for the whole time. I'm just <laughs> well, you know, I know you want me to say Wolver. <laughs> but and I'm happy to be remembered for Wolver, except of course Len Wein did all the Len Wein and, and Herb Trippy and, and John Wein designed possibly all the heavy lifting and everything. But um, of course, but still, you know, I guess you know Wolver. But, but you know the, the, the things, of course, that I like to were all were not necessarily the things that were always the best, you know, selling books. I mean, Conan, of course, was really big and became one of Marvel's biggest sellers by the middle 70s after a slow start. So that was pretty great, even though Marvel didn't own it eventually kind of let it go, but it was pretty good for the whole period that I was writing for a few years after until somehow, for some reason, after about the second movie that just sort of dropped off the map and we were never able to revive it totally in terms of selling that well. Um, and uh, you know, what, what can I tell you? You know, uh, I, I, didn't, I, I don't really have any great accomplishments as editor-in-chief. The thing is, when I was, in my situation, which was somewhat different from as it gradually was becoming, and it was changing into it, especially when it came after Stan decided to move to California, um, that um, as long as Stan was there, you know, you could be the editor-in-chief, you could be the executive editor, you could be the story editor, you could be the editor, but Stan was in charge. Now, you know, anytime he wanted to come in, he, he would be in charge, and there was never any question about that. Nobody ever questioned Stan's authority. So, and I had no interest in doing it. I had no ambition. I was in comic books, I was getting okay. Payment, you know, I didn't like the story or anything, but you know, once that was out of the way, everything was fine. So I, I just, you know, all I wanted to do was uh, have a good time, try to sell a few comic books, and uh, you know, keep everybody happy. So I, I don't know. I, I, th I think in some ways, I think at, at, as editor in chief, I think I just about as soon be remembered for, for Conan the Barbarian, except for the fact, of course, when I started Conan, I wasn't. You know, it was like except a couple of years before, it was just again, again just another part of my job of getting uh, rights to a character that uh, I hadn't even bothered to read much. Because the sword and sorcery doesn't really interest me that terribly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like Conan and I love Robert E. Howard's writing, but I'm not a fan. You know, there's a little elk here and there, but I'm not a fan of sword and sorcery as a genre. Never, never was. But I got to really like Robert E. Howard, you know, hmm. and the Conan character. But I don't know. To me, just I. Mean, being editor in chief is just like to be remembered that maybe just I was uh, I don't know Stan I was I was Bucky to Stanley's Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And you weren't editor in chief when you did Star Wars. You were a contract writer. Right. Right. I was a contract. But writer. you still had a lot of clout. A little. A little. <laughs> and uh, and you have so. You to get him to do the book. Right. Talking right. to do the book. Yeah. So you know I, that doesn't technically count as editor in chief achievement. It was from well, when Roy was doing it, it was still kind of a mom and pop play. When you started coming in, you, you kind of brought it into like a more of a corporate like with the, with the Well, I, I built an organization. I don't like the word corporate because, I mean, if you walk down the hall and there's you know, people doing weird things all over the place, it's, it's not, it was not exactly a corporate environment. And the business people, the, the pure business people who were upstairs, they were afraid to come down to our floor because it was like it's like going to the jungle, man. You don't know what's going to happen. And um, you know, I mean, uh, I, I can tell you some stories at the table about uh, like when Mark Romal turned his office into a haunted house for Halloween. And, uh, you, know, like, you know, you're working long hours. Sometimes you've got to do some crazy things, uh, something. I I have a question because obviously you brought a lot of those uh, toys. And stuff like uh, you know, 
to, with the comic books. I have this question because it, it, the, I, I know a lot about toys, but I could never figure out, okay, Team America, you were, you were the editor in Team America. No, 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 but what, what happened with that Captain America? The, because they made the, the toy Captain America, but it was very low distribution, very hard to find. What was up with that? Uh, well, first of all, when I was there, um, there Galton and, and uh, in, his, in his year or so before, he, he, had, he had also built an organization, and he had, he had some executives, none of whom had ever opened a comic book. And um, you know, but there was there was licensing people and international licensing people, and, and uh, you know, this there's this uh, director of um, circulation and blah blah. And so there, there was uh, there, there was some organization up there, uh, ish. Um, but like I said, almost none of these people had ever actually looked at a comic book. Um, the uh, vice president of international licensing uh, called me up one day. I'm sitting there. My her chief desk, and she calls and she's all excited because she just made the best deal for Wonder Woman. I said, Gail, we don't own Wonder Woman. <laughs> she said, what do you mean we don't own her? I said, she had no idea, you know? And there are others, I'll give you a lot of those stories, but but, uh, but basically, um, in some ways, that, that helped me because nobody wanted to come down into the jungle, and as long as, yeah, if, I, if anything good was happening, they just left me alone. Now, the toy thing, this is what happened. All right, so so we're going along, and I guess there had been movie adaptations done before, but nothing significant. So then, because of Roy, we have Star Wars, and it's a huge hit. So all these people who had never opened a comic book say, "Oh, that's what we should do. We should do movies." You know, and that worked out okay for Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it, you know, it just did not work for Kingdom of the Spiders. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and so okay, but th that happened again and again. The Hasbro deal was a minor miracle. That just this was an accidental meeting between Galton and the president of, of Hasbro, and then that one thing led to another. Next thing you know, we're doing GI Joe, big hit. And then uh, next thing you know, we're doing Transformers, big hit. Now they say, hey, Star Wars, US One, any, you know, I mean, the, the, then it's, then they think toys are the answer. We'll do toys, you know? No, you can only do like a super toy. A mega toy. It has to be like a sweep the country hit, or it's not going to work. So I'm fighting you. You don't know all the fights I won, how many things I managed to fend off. You know, and I did get stuck with a few things. I mean, I suppose to say ROM was okay, you know, because we had good people. But it was that that was one of the many fights I had. I did like the toys and the movies that were big and successful because. You put those on the newsstand, and a kid who would walk right past Daredevil or Iron Man, you know, hey, he sees that, his eyes light up, and then he wants to buy that, and who knows, maybe then he'll like that, and he'll want to try uh, Spider-Man or, or Superman, who cares? Build a business. Um, so that was the bait, and it worked really well when it was on 70,000 newsstands, and then they went all direct and shot themselves in the head. But, okay, but, but that Captain, how come, do you have anything to do with the distribution of the toys, or they just did that? Uh, no, nothing to do with it, and neither did the people upstairs, it was, you know, whoever licensed it. Yeah, I, I was, it's always a mystery why the Captain America motorcycle was always the rarest to find, I don't, and, and it, they all stayed all appeared in the Captain America comics. So I just always thought that was bizarre. Let's not talk about the Spider-Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jerry destroyed that openly, yeah. every issue. Yeah, Jerry got a chance to, it was suddenly told one day he had to do a spider mobile, so he did a great job with it because he just made fun of it. But, you know, the idea, of course, what they originally wanted, of course, was like the Batmobile. And, and, and they could sell the Batmobile, but Jerry was going to write this as this kind of ridiculous thing because he hated it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but that was an example of... It has know, come back, Roy. That's like poison stuff now. Don't blame me. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> So when you did Secret Wars, though, because the toys came after, or did that all come together? What happened was Kenner Toys made a deal with DC Comics to do superhero action figures. I guess they'd try that. Mattel um, 
then, of course, they all spy on each other. So Mattel said, well, where, where, where can we find some superheroes? So they came to Marvel. And like I say, these licensing executives they're meeting with are just like reading down a list. Well, we have Ghost Rider, and, and we have, you know, and, and Mattel people are like, who? What? Yeah. Uh, and people have heard of Spider-Man and Hulk, of course. But, but Sony, as, as, as happened many times, uh, as the one, as the person who knew who the characters were, I was invited into the meeting, and I said, "No, we have some really great characters." And, you know, I talked about them, and, and the Mattel guy says, "Yeah, but they have low Q scores." In other words, we in this building know, but people out there don't know. And so uh, uh, they said, how, "How about you do some big publishing event that gets a lot of publicity, and if you do that, we'll, we'll license the characters." So I came up with the Secret Wars idea, and among other things to get publicity, did that Black Spider-Man trick, and uh, um, it's still here. <laughs> it's, it's 35 years later, you know? But anyway, so so I mean, that's that's why that came about. And other than the name Secret Wars, which was Mattel's idea, they weren't in, invasive at all. We just we, we just tried to make it a good comic book. And, and we, they, they said, you know, could they have vehicles? Sure. So Mike De Zek designs vehicles. Their vehicles didn't look anything like ours. You know, I mean, they didn't care. So uh, we, we got we got away with a lot of stuff. All right, before I turn into the, the audience, I want to I want to ask like, did Roy um, did anything like that ever happen with when you were editor chief? Did they want something to go beyond the comic book? Uh, not. Maybe there is that I can't think. But really, at that stage, they really weren't that interested. Once in a while, Stan would want to do this and that. I remember once he. Once we were going to do a thing uh, for a couple of weeks, he, he introduced me to a young guy who I think was associated with, or maybe he was a freelancer for the men's magazine department, Men's Sweat. And um, it said uh, it was a, a book that was going to come out, and we were going to, and, and the idea was we were going to do a, a comic book of it first. I'm not sure how, you know, and everything. It turned out to be this little thing called Jaws, you know, which turned out to be a huge hit. We never actually did it, but I remember I ended up being so I ended up being one of the first people I knew to ever. You know Jaws, which uh, did, you know, which uh, was a creepy experience anyway. But the the, the worst experience that I had is, but it, and I, luckily I, in my stage I was busy with other stuff. I consider myself more like a shop foreman. I was energy chief, but I felt like as long as Stan's there, I'm the shop foreman basically, you know. And that that was okay. I'll just do whatever Stan wanted done or needed me to do. I was sort of more of like the blob in the space and, and everything. I think that's what what most of us did. But the, the best thing I ever had, this is almost, it's, I don't know if it's an Al, Al story exactly, because I never knew for sure if he was behind it, but he knew about it and everything. And it, 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 I was calling day, there was a woman named Connie Wallaka, where she's still around. She was, I don't know exactly what time, she was, it's a different company, but she was in charge of selling the ads and, uh, to, to advertisers and so forth. And uh, she and I don't know who the other guy was came with her, but she seemed like a nice place. Sometimes she wanted to talk to me in the room. I think Landau had something to do with it. He said, you know, I should talk to him. Stan says, so I go in there, and uh, she says, I've got this great plan for advertising. Of course, I'm not very interested, but, you know, I mean, you know, it affects the comics, and I want, I'm, I want Marvel make money. So I said, uh, fine, what is this? Well, we're, we're going to sell every right-hand page in the comic. We remember we already had only about 17 years old story pages by then, so I don't know if this was decreasing, but we never got that far. But basically, it was every right-hand page of the comic book, maybe not this blank, the first page, I'm not sure, but it was going to be an ad. I said, well, since you, you do know that if you did this and the kid picks up the book on the stands, it is possible to flip through and actually never see a story page. People see only the ad pages. Just, yeah, that's the idea. Because oh, my <laughs> God. I said, well, you do also realize that six months from now, when you're, you're not going to be able to sell these ad pages, because we will have no comics in them. <laughs> and she says, why? I said, well, she says, look, I said, I can't prove this to you. I said, and I said, you know, obviously, you know, this is with you and Al and Stan. Well, they, I simply want you to know that I will fight this plan with every fiber of my being. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so I never heard about it again, so I don't know, you know, if they just gave up. They never did anything like that. I was, that was just added to just another nail in the coffin, I think, my relationship with, uh, with Al Landau. <laughs> you have something you're going to say, John? Yeah, the, the last few years, you know, before I became editor-in-chief, two, two years before that, I, I was there working as associate editor, and that's a fine story. But uh, um, at that time, because every, every people like 
I'm sorry, Lynn and Mark were kind of ceding power to the production manager and to Saul and everything. Um, okay, so uh, Saul, for instance, his idea was, well, the comics aren't selling very well, and you know, we're, we're either not making money or we're losing money. So the answer is to make them, you know, to stop spending as much money on editorial. You know, cut it down to 18 pages, cut it down to 17 pages. He even had an idea once where, where he'd have an artist draw a page sideways and run it as two pages for the price of one. You know, and uh, you had stuff like that to deal with all the time because, as I said, uh, even before I was there, 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 a lot of people didn't know anything about comics and didn't care. All right, well, um, guys, want to take a question? Stand sure. up. Oh, sure. Um, you're both very prolific writers as well. How did you juggle the idea of you still being creative people wanting to write stories, but then being the business side of that, doing editor, editing stuff as well? Well, in my case, I was very unhappy about it because this was the first time in several years, in a number of years, that I had to come into the office five days a week. I had worked it out, so I only had to come in two or three days a week, and I didn't like it. Because that meant I had to do all my writing, you know, at night on the weekends, and that was uh, that that didn't work very well. But you know, so that's what Stan wanted me to do, and I couldn't see any way out of it. You know, it was either that or I had to just you know leave and just do the writing. So I so I did everything. But uh, no, I, I didn't I didn't like that whole thing. And juggling was exactly the way it was. Juggling's about right, and I'm not that that great a juggler. And I think it just got to be. Know, too much for me to the point where eventually I just didn't enjoy it. This job that I had never really gone after, but I was offered, I really kind of liked it and thought it suddenly discovered that I didn't really like being editor in chief, you know, very much, and you know, and everything. I, and I never really wanted to take it back when Stan offered it to me when Mar was there. I never wanted to take it back, except, you know, I had left kind of under a cloud because Stan and I had had this, uh, you know, disagreement and everything. And although, you know, he wanted me to stay there as a writer editor or writer anyway, a writer editor. So I just, you know, I, so I said I'd come back, but I discovered once I accepted, I discovered what I really wanted was to be offered the job back, you know? And I didn't really care about having the job once I got it. And I went out to LA, because I knew I was gonna have a vacation for about a week. I just, so I go out to LA, and I, it's February, and I'm walking around in short sleeve shirts, and and I was going through a, a separation and to lead toward a divorce with my wife, and you know, and, as I said, you know, by the time I moved back, by the time I came back from that week vacation in LA, and I, I had already rented an apartment in Los Angeles, and I just told Stan, I'm sorry, reneging, I'm not coming back, you know, and everything. So I just think I wasn't really the editor in chief type. I, I, in, in the long run, I just preferred to handle it. I could have handled it better if I wanted to, but in the long run, I, I really didn't, even, didn't care that much, too. Um, he, has, he has tremendous editorial skills. He, he was there when I was there. I think uh, things, things have gone a lot different. Um, and uh, anyway, but to me, um, when I was associate editor and, and I wasn't making enough money, I, I, I had to write. And so I was writing a couple of books. Um, I think a total of two, uh, one monthly and two bi monthly. And uh, uh, okay, and I love writing. It's, it's fun, you know. And, and I, I, it's, it's an enjoyable way to make a living. When I became editor-in-chief, though, it was just overwhelming, and I, I, I was pushing writing away with both hands. I, I, did, I didn't, I, I couldn't do it, because there was just too much other stuff to do. But then sometimes I get, I get forced into it. Can't get anybody to write the last issue of, the, of Dracula, the, the Black Boy, whatever that was called. Um, you can't get anybody, nobody wants to write Team America, and I'm the only one that's ever read a motorcycle. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I, get, I, get, I get cornered sometimes. And then Secret Wars I did because, you know, writers are all invested in their characters and they'd be jealous and fighting with each other. If, if Bigelini was writing it, you know, Claremont would be upset. If Claremont was writing it, Claremont would be upset. So I said, well, they, don't, they, they, they don't, all don't like me already, so you know, <laughs> I'll do it, you know? And, uh, and also, I had the advantage of, I'm the boss. I get to tell you who Spider-Man is. <laughs> you know, I don't know, if, if I say, it's good to be the king. Yeah. If, if, I, if I say this guy can do this, he can do it. <laughs> so, so anyway, that, that did actually, it actually went pretty well. I mean, I managed, I always checked with them and tried to work with them. They did went on. But, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't really want to uh, do writing so much. I, I, I loved it, but I, I just didn't 
have time, and I didn't want to have time. Terribly well. I was his successor. Uh, I didn't know this when I came to New York, but when I turned, it turned out that Nelson was the uh, guy who was more assistant editor, doing the letters columns and so forth, and tiny bit of writing. And he was very nice and showing me the rope. But it had to be a grim thing for him because he knew I was his replacement. You know, and we, we didn't really know each other. We had exchanged. Uh, he had, had an article on my early alter ego and so forth, but we hadn't met or anything like this. And so I felt, you know, really. You know, kind of bad for him because he really knew so much about. Uh, uh, as a as a writer, he was okay. Uh, he he could get bogged down to minutia, but he really knew that minutia. He just didn't, you know, have. He, he didn't make it exciting for the reader because he was interested in the minutia so much, you know, and everything. But he was a a, a wonderful guy, very very bright guy, and uh, uh, but you know he was not respected. They, 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 I just remember that you know when when I moved, I had had a job offer from Bortweiser of a hundred. $10 a week, which is a lot more money than it is now, so it came to answer the question here. When I got to New York, Morton suddenly says, your job offer is $100 a week. I said, what happened to the other $10? You know, he says, I can't pay you more than I'm paying that idiot over there. You know, <laughs> and, you know, not that Nelson wasn't there. He was two or three doors down in a little cubicle. And I was thinking, you know, this is, this is a guy who doesn't really respect the people too much. But, uh, but Nelson didn't get that much respect. Even when DC died, uh, I mean, when, D, when he died, and uh, DC put the thing in, they were they write about it. It was one of the few times that I was really mad at Dick Jordan, who was a good friend, that uh, they would write all these wonderful things about you know Nelson. And his, but in the meantime, during the last year of his life, Nelson had an awful lot of chance getting enough work to live on. And everybody could, it was it's easy to praise somebody when they're dead. What, what they didn't do was find find a way to integrate this guy. He, they could have found ways to give him a job. They would rather praise him when he was dead. And I'm not saying Dick was trying, you know, doing him bad. So nobody did anything think much for him. And then when he's dead, they suddenly eulogize him. And, so, and he wasn't really a, a wonderful person. I was glad to see he got the uh, the Bill Finger Award this year for uh, being a, a, you know, for being a, you know, a person whose writing work was not recognized enough during his, his life. He, he was a very, very wonderful guy. He deserves, I wish I could get somebody to write more stuff about him for Alter Ego, but we haven't found anybody to do the research on it yet. On my little show and tell book on the table there, there's a letter from Nelson. When Mort wrote me letters, they were usually not pleasant. <laughs> um, Nelson wrote me such a nice letter, so it's in my book. So you can just get a, get a clue about what kind of guy he was. I'll, tell you, I'll try and make it quick. I'll, t I'll tell you this one story, though. You said you had a moment where you realized that this guy doesn't treat people well anymore. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you my moment. Mort asked me to, uh, he said, so these people seem to like these time travel stories you do. So write me something with King Arthur. This is for World's Finest, Batman and Superman together. So, okay, I wrote a, I wrote a story, and I uh, uh, sent it to Mort. And he, he liked it, except I, I, I couldn't think of a name for the villain, so I, my placeholder name, and it said so. This is a placeholder. It was the Black Baron, which is, but, but I was just I just needed something to you know to serve as a placeholder, and uh, so uh, uh, Mort calls me. I'm sorry, this this will do, uh, but I don't like the name of the character. I said, well, I don't have one yet. You know, that's just he's. I'm I have a name for the character. We're gonna call him the Jousting Master. Now that just turns off. <laughs> so, so I, but you didn't argue with Morgan. You, you know, whatever. Okay, it's a jousting match. So, so I wrote the story, and I, I was in the office. I, I would come up periodically, especially in the summer. And I was in the office, and um, Mort, uh, sitting there with Mort, going over whatever. And then he says, he says, oh, I'm going to call Nelson in. And so he calls Nelson in. And uh, he, he said, I, I gave you that story that Jim wrote to read, and now we're going to we're going to test you. We're going to, you know, we're going to see now how your editorial skills are. And so, yeah, see it coming. So, so anyway, here's Nelson. He's like, oh my God. He, now he knows he's got to think of something wrong. There must be something wrong. You know, there must be a, a, a bow tie or a bulldog in here somewhere. And and so of course he says he says you know well Jim you're usually so good with names he said look at this name Jousting. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and so more. I'm, I'm sitting there going, you know, Nelson, and, and, uh, and Mort is, is saying, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting observation, Nelson. Tell me more. You know, tell me, tell me, tell me why it's bad. And he just keeps feeding the rope, and, and Nelson thinks he's found it. He thinks, yeah, I, I picked out the thing I'm supposed to find. And Nelson, and is just being cruel to him. He's just giving him rope, giving him rope, and then he says, I created the name, Nelson. And Nelson, I thought he was going to jump out the window. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I, and that's, that was my mom when I said, this guy's not nice. <laughs> All right, anyway, Nelson was very nice. You can read the letter. Mort's motto was, a little sadism never hurt anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but at, I, this is probably apocryphal, but they, they, I wasn't there. But at, at the, his funeral, uh, they couldn't find anybody to do a eulogy. Yeah. And finally, they found some guy who known him all his life, and he said, well, his brother was worse. More <laughs> <laughs> when when Mort was deciding to leave DC Comics, um, uh, he kind of forced DC Comics to throw a party for him. Okay, and so uh, uh, so they have this dinner, and various DC people officials got up to speak, and then finally they let Nelson say a few words, and guess what? It turned into a roast because he because he Mort couldn't hurt Nelson anymore. <laughs> Nelson let him have it. <laughs> I wasn't there. But Paul Levitz. Somebody had a tape recorder. Paul Levitz and a couple other guys who were trustworthy told me. So, yeah, there's somebody had it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Shooter. Oh, thank you.